yeah, like Pastor Dom said, I'll be here um, this Sunday. This will be my last Sunday teaching, actually. And then next Sunday I'll be here, um, but I leave very early Monday morning. So actually, if you think of it, pray for me as I wake up very early and attempt to make my flight at like 5.30 in the morning. So, um, so but, but I have thoroughly enjoyed my time here. Thank you all for, for your hospitality. Thank you for allowing me in your home um, to, to hear your stories, to hear about who you are, and to fellowship with you. It's been... It's been Words can't describe it. It's been a wonderful experience, okay? And I wish I could adequately say it, but thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Fellowship, for um, your investment in me. I feel like I've learned more from this internship. You've given me more than I've given you, so thank you. We'll be in 1 John this morning. We'll be concluding our study, so hopefully your Bible's naturally open to that. 1 John chapter, not 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 21 this morning. Verses 13 through 21. Again, finishing our, our series together, it's been a journey. Like we said at the very beginning, it's like a taking a road trip, right? And we set the stage for the road trip. We were all prepared for it, and then we started driving. We started going through the book of 1 John, and we've seen a lot of things along the way. And today, we're going to finish our trip. We're going to finish looking at what John has for us. So to begin our time this morning, let's go ahead and read through the passage. We'll go ahead and read through verses 13 through 21. It's only eight verses, so we'll spend some time reading through it. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Verse 18, and we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. I pray that uh, you would give us your grace as we understand your word this morning by the power of your spirit. Illumine our hearts. Help us to understand what you have for us this morning. We pray that all would be done would be worship and honor and glory to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've had an interaction with somebody in the past. You've had a really good friend come and visit you. Maybe you've gone to um, a speaking event, a concert or something, and you've witnessed somebody who had a profound impact on your life. And you had an opportunity to go and interact with that person. Now, you're, you are, you've had a wonderful time interacting with them, and it comes time to say goodbye. There's a lot of things on your heart. There's a lot of things that you want to tell the person. You want to tell them how, how good of a friend they've been in the past, how much impact they've had on your life. And oftentimes, this will come maybe on the trip to an airport or something like that. And you're always wondering, at what point in the conversation do I release all the sentiment of my heart? If I do it too early, it's really awkward. And then there's like this awkward like, break in the conversation. If I do it too late, there's a chance I won't be able to say it like I want to. So, but regardless, Oftentimes, we have things that we want to tell people, encouragement, words of advice, um, in, in, in attempts to convey our experience and our emotions that we have for that person, our feelings for that person. 
John here has been talking to his, the believers under his care for some time. He's written to them. He's told them many things about Christ. He's told them about his personal experience with Christ. And here he is, you could say, on the way to the airport, about to tell them, give them some final thoughts. And so as we open up our Bibles this morning to 1 John 5, 13 through 21, we see John in his final words to these people. And John actually gives us four promises. He gives us four promises in this, sec- in this passage. And I'll run through the promises, we'll discuss each of them, and then I'll leave us with some applications at the end. But here are the four promises so we know where we're going. Number one, he gives us a promise of confidence. Promise of confidence. Number two, a promise of prayer. Number three, promise of forgiveness. Number four, promise of sanctification. So the four promises, confidence, prayer, forgiveness, and sanctification. So let's start with the first one, the promise of confidence. Look down in verse 13 with me. Let's read this, and let's talk about it. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, there's a couple of questions that we must ask ourselves after we read that verse. First of all, what is John writing about? What is John talking to? He says in here, I write these things to you. Well, what, is, what are these things referring to? John is actually talking back to the previous passage that we, we've, we discussed last week, we looked at last week. So, um, verses 1 through 12. And these things are referring to the testimony of Christ. If you remember last week, for those of you who were here, actually, for those of you who weren't here, let me give you a recap. John gave us three evidences that Jesus is the Christ. He gave us three evidences. Number one was a spirit. Number two was um, the water, and number three was the blood. The spirit is the one that that dwells inside of us and tells us what's true. The water was referring to Jesus' baptism, the beginning point of his ministry, the point where we see heaven and earth come together, and then uh, referring to the blood, talking about when Jesus died, okay? And his death was a symbol, uh, it was the the accomplishment of his earthly ministry, and it was another point where we saw heaven and earth connecting, okay? Okay? And so these three evidences point to the fact that Jesus Christ, Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed one, the Son of God. And so John is referring back to this idea that he's already talked about, the the testimony of Christ, that you can believe Christ. And he's writing to, who is he writing to? He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now we also discussed last week what it means to believe, what it means to believe in the Son of God. To believe in the Son of God, it means it refers to to those who have a wholehearted trust in the saving power of the Anointed One, Jesus Christ. A wholehearted trust in the saving power of the Anointed One, Jesus Christ. And so he's writing about the testimony of Christ to these believers. And why is he writing this? Look in verse 13. That you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing these things so that you know that you have eternal life. Now, the word know here can actually mean, it means many different things, but, but there's three specific areas I think that it, it um, would apply to this word know. Three different ideas. So, number one, being aware, okay? You could be aware of something. Number two, it's a confident grasp. So, be aware, a confident grasp. And then number three, to behold, to behold. Now, I think the best way to look at it from, from our perspective in the scripture is, to, is the word behold, that you may behold that you have eternal life, okay? So what does it mean to behold? Um, the other day, we had the, I had the wonderful opportunity with Pastor Greg and Pastor Chris. We drove up to Avon, and we got to see some beautiful sights. It was, it was wonderful. And then we, we decided to go to uh, a different part, a little past Avon, okay? It's called Porcupine Reservoir. Beautiful, beautiful place. So you're driving down the road, 
and you're going into this canyon, all right? And there's trees on both sides. There's, there's a little stream that's progressively getting bigger. And all of a sudden, it opens up, and there's rocks everywhere. And you drive up this, this road on the side, and it's pretty steep. And so as you look up the road, all you see is blue sky, and you don't see any land or anything. It's just, just sky because it's so steep, all right? And as you begin to get closer and closer to the top, you can begin to see the tips of some hills, some rocks, outcrop, rock outcroppings. And then finally, you, you crest over the peak, and there it is. There's this beautiful mountain reservoir. There's bluish green water. There's rocks everywhere, trees. It's, it's gorgeous. There's free-range cattle, which I'd never seen before. It's quite an experience. Um, and, and it's all around creating this almost surreal experience. Now, when, I, when we were getting to the top, as soon as I crested the hill, I was in the front, and I wanted to leap off the quad, run to the edge of the water, throw my hands out like maybe Moses might have done, I don't know, and say, oh. Behold, the great porcupine reservoir. <laughs> okay? The idea of behold is to do just that. When you get to a point and you stand in front of something in awe, behold, wow, look at this. And that's what John is saying to these believers. He's like, I'm writing to you about Christ. I'm writing to you about Jesus, who is the anointed one. Here he is. Look at him, believers. Behold him. This wondrous mystery, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. And what John does is he takes, in the previous passage, he's taken the believers on a journey from three different perspectives. Okay, is this, is, is, it's as if he's holding the believers next to him and saying, all right, you're, you're looking at Christ in this way. But believers, come with me over here. All right, now look at Christ from this perspective. You see him? Now, now come over here. Come over here. Now look at Christ again. Look at him. And then and let's step back. Behold, this is the Christ. This is Jesus the Christ. And, and what happens? What happens when you stand in awe and you behold Christ? There's a confidence. There's a confidence that John mentions. And, and you develop this confidence that, yes, this is my Savior. This is the one in whom I have eternal life. And believers, wow, we can have confidence in this. So number one, John gives us a promise of confidence. Number two, though, in verses 14 through 15, John gives us the promise of prayer. The promise of prayer. Look in verse 14 and 15 with me. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Okay? So let's break this down a bit. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. What is the confidence John is talking about? It is that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. Okay? Now, the idea of here, 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 means a couple different, it can mean a few things, but I think this is the best way to describe it, okay? It means to, to give inclination to, to, to incline forward like you're listening to someone. Um, picture this, you are a, a, a business owner who is just starting off for the first time. You have some experience, but not a whole lot, and you get to sit down with Elon Musk, all right, for dinner. Now, some of you, if you're a business owner, this would be like the, the chance of a lifetime, okay? So you're sitting across from him, and he asks you to tell him all about your business. And you talk and talk and talk, and he's sitting back. And you can see he's kind of uninterested. And so you pull out of your pocket a really interesting fact about your business that always captures people's attention. What does he do? He sits forward. He listens. Because why? Aha, business opportunity, potentially. All right? Now, I'm not comparing God to Elon Musk at all. I'm not comparing God to a CEO at all. Of course not. But the idea of inclination here, can you see that? God will incline his ear to us. He will listen to us. And why, when will he do this? 
When will God incline his ear? Well, when, what the passage says, when we ask according to his will. Like it says in verse 14, this is the confidence, if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He hears us. Okay? It does not mean that, that, well, let me say this, God has not promised to grant anything that is contrary to his will. And, and we can expect to receive from God things that, that he judges to be, to be best for us. Okay? So, when it says that we ask according to his will, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean, number one, that we have to somehow secretly discover God's will, and then once we, once we discover God's sovereign will, then, then we'll, we'll pray accordingly. We'll pray knowing about his, his will, right? Well, that, that's rather unattainable. What else does it not mean? It doesn't mean that we, we should never ask God for anything that, he, that we desire. Um, it doesn't mean that your desires are automatically not in line with, with God's will. So we ought to. We ought to bring our petitions to our Father, to our King. So how ought we to pray? How should we pray? Well, we see four, four um, examples in Scripture, four points I want to mention. Number one, we ought to pray in faith. Matthew 21, 22 says, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Jesus talking. So we ought to pray in faith. We ought to also pray, number two, in, in patience. In Luke 18, 1 through 8, um, Luke tells us the, the story of, actually, Jesus gives a parable to, to the people of the persistent widow. widow. And this parable is meant to illustrate the, the, the patience, it shows the patience that this widow had and how that correlates to prayer, right? And so we ought to pray in patience. So pray in faith, pray in patience. Number three, pray in obedience. Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Okay, so iniquity in my heart, God will not listen to my prayers. We also see this in the New Testament. First, uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3.12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, so God listens to those who are, who are um, doing good, and God does not listen. He listens to the righteous, and he is against those who, are, who have evil. So we ought to pray in faith, pray in patience, pray in obedience, and then finally, I think one of the most important ones we can gather from this passage, we ought to pray in humility. Luke twenty-two forty-two. we see example of Christ actually here. Luke twenty-two forty-two says, Father, Jesus talking to his Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Okay? So we see Jesus actually being submissive to the will of the Father. And, and Jesus has a clear desire here. He, he clearly knows what is about to happen, and he does not want this to happen, right? But he says, regardless, in humility, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. So we ought to have the same, the same attitude of humility as we approach prayer. Um, we ought to pray. We, we give our requests to the Lord. We, we tell him what we want. We tell him our desires, but we pray in the will. We pray the Lord's will be done. And as we dwell in the Word of God, as we dwell in the Scriptures, we ought to pray in ways that align with the truth of the Bible. And as we read the Word, when we do so, we ha can have this confidence. So, so what happens here, John is speaking of this confidence that we can have in our prayer if we pray according to the will of God. What is the promise? Continue into verse 15. And if, and if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Now, there's a lot of we's in there, and so let's, let's kind of understand this, okay? And there's a continuation of the previous idea. We know that He, God, hears us, us as believers, in whatever we ask. And we know that we have the request that He has asked of us, we have asked of Him. 
Now, the idea of have there, I am, let me just say this, a caveat, okay? I am no Greek scholar, but I can Google, okay? So I did a little bit of that. And the idea of have here in the Greek, it's actually a, in the imperfect tense, okay? So in the imperfect tense, it, it means almost in the future, okay? So think of this word in the future. And we know that we, we will have the request that we have asked of him, okay? So if we ask God according to his will, he has promised here, he gives us the promise of prayer, the promise that he will give us a response. He will answer us. He will answer the request that we have asked of him. So, so let's take a second here and think about what does this say about God? What does this say about God? Number one, God hears us, right? That's very clear. God hears us. Number two, God is faithful to answer us. So God hears us and God is faithful. What does that tell us about God? And those two things, what does that tell us about God? Well, it tells us he's a, he's a personal God, a God who, who desires to be close to us and to listen, to hear us. And so believers, we can rest in that. So, so first of all, we have the promise of confidence. We have the promise of prayer, number two. And then number three, we have the promise of forgiveness. Promise of forgiveness. So look at down in verse 16. We're going to tackle this section now. The promise of forgiveness. Verse 16 says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Let's stop there. Now, with the previous verse in mind, when we talked about prayer, okay, can we have this confidence to pray for others? Because that's what the Scripture says. It says, if, anyone, if you see your brother committing a sin, okay, what should we do? What's the, re what's the reaction there? We ought to, uh, to ask. Ask God and God will give him life. We ought to pray. Pray for um, the salvation of this, or the, the, that God would save this person from the sin. And so with the previous verse in mind, can we have confidence to pray for others? And the answer is yes, absolutely we can have confidence to pray for others. God offers forgiveness, okay? And that's the truth we need to hold on to. But, but there's something in there that, that we just brushed over really quickly that may have made you a little bit uncomfy, right? Anybody notice that? What is it in verse 16 that makes you feel a little bit uncomfy, a little questionable? A sin that not leading to death, all right? That seems a bit against what we know about Scripture, right? Like all, all sin will, will condemn us to hell, correct? Well, let, there's a lot of different ideas about this, but let me, for the sake of time, and mostly for the sake of time, almost all for the sake of time, um, let me give you an idea. Let me, let me help us think about this in one specific way. So the sin not leading to death. Um, this, this would most likely, based on the research I've done, a sin in which the position of the believer's heart in this case is still able to repent of sin. Okay? So the believer is at a point where, where his heart is, is not hardened to the sin. He's, he's open to confessing the sin. He's still able to confess it. Okay? And so in this situation... In this situation, the, the fellow believer who sees someone in sin ought to pray for this person, okay? Um, Pastor Dom, I'm going to use you as an illustration for a second, if you're okay with that. Let's say that I, as a fellow... <laughs> last week? Pick on someone else, I don't know. Pick on Pastor Dom, okay? Pastor Dom, let's say I was, I'm a fellow church member with you, and I discovered that Pastor Dom was stealing candy from the children's candy bucket or something, Okay? It's like the eighth deadly sin, all right? We add that one on there. I find out that Pastor Dom is stealing candy from the kids. Cardinal sin, it's horrible, okay? Now, what do I do? I could do a couple things, all right? 
John is not saying in this passage that we ought to go up to Pastor Dom and take one of those pool noodles in the basement and start hitting him over the head, bludgeoning him, saying, confess and repent, you heathen. Okay, we're not, I'm not going to do that to Pastor Dom. One, that wouldn't be kind. Two, that's not what John is saying here. Neither is John saying that, that we ought to, if I see Pastor Dom in sin, stealing candy from the kids, I ought to go to, I, I'm, Pastor Dom, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for him. And you know what? Prayer is always better in numbers, right? So I'm going to tell the whole congregation to start praying for Pastor Dom. Now, how do, what does that turn into? That turns into a gossip session, okay? John here is not telling us to, to bludgeon someone over the head for a confession. John is not telling us to tell the entire church to pray for the sins of the individual. John says, you pray for your brother. You pray to God and ask him that he would deliver this person from sin. And what is the promise? That God will deliver. Okay? If we see a believer in sin, our first response is to confidently, with great confidence, ask God to give life to that individual, to give, to give uh, freedom from that sin to that individual. Now, there's also another point in this verse that I think it's good to note, um, and it's kind of a contrast to the sin that does not lead to death, okay? Later on in verse 16, we see that there is a sin that leads to death. And basically, John says, I, I'm, I'm not saying that you need to pray for this, okay? He's not saying, don't pray for this. He's saying, I'm not saying you have to pray for this. The sin leading to death would, would almost be the contrast of the sin that does not lead to death, right? Um, and this would be the idea of a, a sin that someone is in that he is so engrossed in and so into that, that he is almost incapable of repentance, okay? Um, there's examples in Scripture. Uh, Esau is an example of this where his heart was hardened in immorality and sin that he could not confess. And that, that's an example of a sin that would uh, lead to death, okay? Um, and, and John is saying here, don't, I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray for that person, but I'm not saying you have to, okay? So, um, but moving on from that, what is, let's, bring it, let's bring it back here. What does this tell us about God? What is the truth about God that we learn in this? Number one, God is, he is faithful and willing to forgive those who are sinning. Think back to 1 John 1.9. God is, is faithful and he just to forgive us of our sins, but, but what, when will he forgive us, right? When we confess. And so pray for the believer. Pray that, that, that God would deliver this believer, that, that he would confess, and that God would, would forgive him. So God is faithful and willing to forgive those who are sinning, but also we learn that God is faithful to hear and to answer the prayer and the request of those praying for the other believer. So we've seen so far, we've seen the promise of, of um, confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ. We've seen, number two, the promise of prayer that we have. Number three, we have... Uh, the promise of forgiveness. And then finally, let's look at the promise of sanctification. The promise of sanctification. Now, there are two words that I, I wanted to describe this as, um, the, the promise of protection and the promise of progression, okay? I kind of lump those two words into, call it sanctification, okay? Look in verse 18. Let's read it together. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, at the beginning part of that passage, it says that those born of God don't keep on sinning. And that might cause us a little, uh, cause a little bit of tension in our own hearts. Why? Well, we remember back to what John has said in chapter 1, in verse 8 and verse 10. He said that, that if you think that you don't have sin, you're a liar. Why? Because you have sin. In verse 10, he says the same thing of chapter 1. And right in the middle, though, he, he says the famous verse, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. So, so I don't believe here that John is saying that believers will never, ever sin again. I think it's very obvious from the context that believers will sin. 
I think it's more so talking about a, a habitual and characteristic, um, talking about a believer who is, who is habitually sinning and characteristically a sinner. And at that point, you might want to question if this is a believer or not. Okay? Now, will a believer still struggle in sin? Yes, absolutely. Look at 1 John 1, 9. But the promise comes in the second part of verse 18. He who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. He who is born of God. There is some debate over what this refers to based on various translations, but I think in, in, the, um, in the ESV it's very clear that, that Jesus Christ is the one being talked about here. Jesus Christ, he who is born of God, Jesus Christ protects him. He protects the believer. The evil one, Satan, does not touch him. So here there's a promise that, that those who are in Christ, those who are in Christ will be protected from the power of Satan, okay? Now let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you need this protection? Think about your life. Think about what surrounds you in your life, maybe your work, your family, your job, whatever it is. Do you need protection from the evil one? Now let's look in verse 19. We know that we are from God, okay, believers? We know that we're from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. As we live in the world, controlled by the power of sin, by the power of Satan, it is imperative that we abide in Christ. It is absolutely essential that we abide in Christ. And why? What is the promise here? There's promise of protection. That those who are in Christ will be protected from the power of Satan, from the power of the evil one. So yes, believers, we need this protection. We need this, oh, ever so much. So we've seen the promise of, of, of um, confidence, the promise of prayer, the promise of forgiveness, and then finally the promise of sanctification, of protection and progression in Christ. And so I want to leave you this morning with a few applications as we conclude our study in 1 John. As we look in verses 20 and 21, first application I want to give is this, behold. Behold, verse 20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. Believers, you are in Christ, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true and the eternal life. He is the true and eternal life. Know and remember the wonderful reality of who Christ is. He proved it. <laughs> Christ proved that he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And John's given us three examples of this. So believers, understand this and, and comprehend, behold this wonderful reality that Jesus is the Christ who gives you eternal life. And because of that, you are now in Christ and remain in Christ. So number one, behold, behold the gospel. Number two, pray confidently, pray confidently. It's a good passage. It might be good to write this down. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Let me read it for you. Probably a familiar passage to many of you. It says this in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us do this. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. No, but, but instead we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, so what is the result of this? Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. Believers pray confidently. Go before the throne of God with confidence, not in what you've done, not in anything you've done. Okay, it's very clear. John has already told us that you did absolutely nothing, right? God loved you first. You didn't, you didn't love him. You didn't deserve that. Go with confidence, not with what you've done, but because of the wonderful work of Christ on your behalf. So pray confidently. Christ is our high priest who intercedes for us. And then finally, number three, keep God number one. Keep God number one. Now, let's read verse 21. Actually, let's back up to the middle of verse 20. Um, And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, the ending here in 1 John might be a little odd, okay? Listen to some of these examples in other epistles. 1 Corinthians, Paul ends his letter this way. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. May love be with you in all, uh, all in Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians ends this way. Peace be to the brothers with love, with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with all love incorruptible. 1 Peter Greet one, another, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And then we get to 1 John. And John says, little children, keep yourself from idols. Okay? In our modern vernacular, that's almost like John was saying, hey, yo, stay away from idols, okay? Don't, don't fall into idolatry. And that's a little odd, right? It's a little odd that John would end a, a majestic letter with, keep yourself from idols, right? He doesn't even talk about... He doesn't even say amen at the end of it. Like, what in the world, right? Okay. This is the culmination of John's letter. This is the very end of it. And he has talked extensively about what it means to abide in Christ, abide in God. So so remain close to God. And so with that in mind, as idolatry is, is threatening the believers of the day, things that take the place of God, he urges them. John is urging his little children, these people who he's very close with, he loves, He's urging them to keep from idols. Why? Why? Because, because idols take the place of God. And, and how can one abide in God if, if there's another authority, a more significant authority in the believer's life? So John said his main idea here is that you ought to abide in God and you cannot abide in God if you have idols. So keep yourself from idols. I think the same is true for us. How, how easy is it right, for, for idols to, to creep into our life? Maybe seemingly good things as well. Things that, that over time take the place of God in our own lives. So as a final conclusion, as we, as we wrap this up, um, we've seen a lot in the book of First John. Okay? John has given us many encouragements. He's, he's given these encouragements to the believers of the day, and, and also I think he's given them to us. We can read this and profit from it. And there are certainly many things that we ought to benefit from as we remember what we studied in this book, but there's something at the very center of it all. There's something at the very center of it all. There's one thing, and actually kind of two things, okay, so I lied. Um, we ought to remember. And, and if we know these two things, it will cause every other point that John has mentioned in First John, it will cause everything else to naturally fall into place, okay? Here are the two things. The heart of John's letter, the heartbeat of his letter. Number one, love God. Love God. And number two, Abide in him. Believers, when you have an ever-increasing view of God's love for you, 
then the correct response is to, to fall on your face in thanks to God for what he's done for you and, and, and to love God back with the greatest capacity possible from you, which is not a whole lot, frankly. We ought to love God. Why? Because he loved us first. We ought to abide in God, knowing him in an intimate way more and more and more and more every single day. We ought to know God. Know your God. And as these two things, as your love for God increases and as your knowledge for, of God increases, as you know God in a more intimate way, you will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to look, to look different. You look different from the world. You will have a greater love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, like John has mentioned. You will have less of a desire for worldly things. Your desires change, right? Remember the, the steak and fruit snack illustration, okay? That was really cheesy, but, but as you love God, as you, as you know God better, the things of the world, cares. As you love God more, you will desire God more, and you will desire the things of the world less and less. You will develop a greater love for the truth. So believers, in conclusion, as we conclude 1 John this morning, love God, love God, and abide in Him. Okay. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Father, we are, are guilty, unworthy sinners who deserve damnation in hell. But God, because of your love for us, you have saved us. You've sent your Son to be the propitiation, to be the appeasement, the satisfaction of your wrath, who did so per and, and, and Jesus the Christ did so perfectly. And so, Father, as we reflect on that this morning, as, as we reflect on the truth of 1 John about, about your love and about what that love means in our lives and how we ought to abide in you, Lord, may that change our lives. May that change our desires. Father, I pray that, that we would love you so much that we would neglect the things of the world, the, the temporal, the meaningless, the trivial things of this world, and that instead we would love you. And with all of our heart, we would strive for you. We would abide in you. Oh God, give us your grace to do that. We need it. We are, we are weak, but Lord, in you we are strong, and we pray for that divine power, that divine strength. Would you be with us this morning as we worship you? Would you be pleased with our worship? And Lord, help everything we do to point others to Christ. Lord, be honored and glorified today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.